Support for WFIU News comes from Bunger and Robertson, Attorneys at Law, utilizing 75 years of experience, knowledge, and resources to help individuals and families recover in personal injury matters. Information at lawbr.com. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host Lori McRobbie. Today we're talking with guests about House Bill 1412 and what it means for pet store owners and for uh, dog sales and dog ownership in the state of Indiana. We have four guests with us today, uh, three, uh, yeah, four guests, two here in the studio, two by phone. We have Samantha Chapman and Amy Jesse. They're joining us uh, on Zoom. Samantha is the Indiana State Director for the Humane Society of the United States. Amy is the Director of Public Policy for the Stop Puppy Mills campaign for the Humane Society of the United States. In the studio are Jonathan Lawler, who's Public Policy Director for the Indiana Council for Animal Welfare, and Lori Wilson, the CEO of Uncle Bill's Pet Centers. You can join the program by giving us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington. Toll-free, the number is 877-285-9348. You can also send your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at Noon Edition. So this bill's been a little contentious going through the, the legislation legislature. Jonathan, I know that you uh, and your organization, your council, have been working on this with the legislature. Can you just update us on... This, what the bill's all about, the status of the bill at this point, you told me before it's heading to the governor now. Correct. Okay. Um, yeah, so House Bill 1412 looks to, looks to uh, set statewide standards for uh, care of dogs um, that are sold in retail settings. Uh, it does uh, reset ordinances. Um, it doesn't overturn them. That, that, that's continually talked about. Uh, local municipalities can still pass ordinances. Um, the only thing they can't ban is any any dog that is uh, brought is sourced from a canine care certified program. Okay, and so Samantha, I know that uh, you have a viewpoint on this legislation. Could you give us your take? Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to make the point clear that this bill has one purpose, and that's to avoid 21 ordinances um, that protect animals and consumers across the state. The rest of this bill is just there um, to appear to regulate um, the pet industry in which it protects. Um, This bill does not um, incentivize pet stores to source exclusively from canine care certified breeders because they're still allowed to continue to source from high volume USDA licensed puppy mills across the country. So um, really, if we're looking at this issue and Bloomington's ordinance is included, these ordinances will be completely voided and um, basically communities will be forced to allow um, pet stores to operate across the state. Lori, you you operate pet stores. Mm-hmm. Um, your take on this and and the uh, the thought that you're getting dogs from places where you shouldn't be. Sure. So, obviously, um, I'm a third generation running the business. Um, my grandfather started it in 1985, and you know this has always been sourcing humanely and ethically raised animals has been a, a top priority. So. Um, you know, obviously with the six stores just in Indiana, I don't have any other stores. I don't franchise. I don't do anything. So I have all the control. So we have two women that have worked for my family for literally 
30 plus years and they are entrusted to go to breeders. I also do as well. But before we buy from any breeder, we will actually physically show up. We can all see great pictures, great videos, but um, it's important for me and my team that we actually get our eyes on um, exactly where these animals are coming from. And Uncle Bill's does not source from like huge conglomerate USDA commercially bred dogs. We strive to hit, you know, so a commercial kennel, it's important to realize a commercial kennel is anything over 19. Okay, so 19 breeding animals. So that is a point where we try to stick, um, and we are USDA um, licensed. So what that means is from a USDA perspective, I have complete open door policy. So they can come in and inspect at any point and unannounced, and we have to go and, and show them paperwork and, and do all of our due diligence that USDA requires us and breeders to do. So USDA is a governing body, right? They inspect all of our meat. Um, it is a um, regulatory um, standards um, organization, but it is also important to understand USDA has one level. We wanted to go above that. So USDA in, in our industry, it's is really bare minimums. We want to strive to go above that. So that's where the canine care um, came in. And Dr. Um, Crony from Purdue, you know, head, department head of agriculture at Purdue University, she came up with this program that encompasses all of the dog's um, needs. So whether they, you know, socialization, um, turnout, making sure that they're not in chicken wire stacked cages that puppy mills, you know, have operated underneath those pretenses. So you know, we're kind of jumping all over the board here, but again, I think it's really important to understand that Uncle Bill's takes that very seriously, and we will go to a, a kennel before we even buy from them to make sure that they fit our our um, regulations and our standards. So, I'm going to ask Amy a question, but first, I do want to say we reached out to uh, Director Candace Crony and asked her to be on the show today, and she sent us a statement and just said that she she would refrain from commenting on areas about the bill itself. Purdue has taken no stance on the bill. She said she herself has taken no position on the bill to to avoid giving anyone the perception that she's speaking for the university or doing anything other than conveying information based on our work that helps inform interested parties. So we did invite her to be on. Amy, you uh, told me before that you've been working on this nationwide, the, the issue of, of puppy mills nationwide. So... Um, I want your first comments on the Indiana bill, and is it is it similar to what's going on in other states? Yes, thank you. Um, so to, to take the first part of your question, my take on this bill, similar to what Samantha said, is that this bill is basically 20-some pages of confusion, and the only goal of this bill is to wipe out 21 ordinances and to force cities to allow pet stores um, to sell puppies from virtually anywhere they want to source from. It's a total misconception that this bill requires pet stores to source from canine care certified breeders. Um, looking at the bill itself, which I have right in front of me, it absolutely does not require pet stores to source from canine care breeders. It allows pet stores to source from any USDA licensed breeder or broker without a direct violation in the last two years. And so that basically means that pet stores are free to source from hundreds of massive USDA licensed puppy mills, even if they have a whole bunch of egregious violations, just as long as they weren't labeled as direct, which is a label that USDA rarely uses, and it's only in the most extreme situations. So it's also important to note what we're talking about when we talk about USDA licensed breeders. Even a breeder with clean inspection reports who's never had a violation can legally, under the Animal Welfare Act, confine dogs in cages only six inches larger than their bodies. The cages can have wire flooring. They can be bred repeatedly, and then they can simply be killed when they're no longer producing puppies. So these are conditions that I don't believe any Hoosier would knowingly support if they knew that's where pet store puppies were coming from. And so that's a big part of why we have 21 local ordinances is to avoid that kind of cruelty. And this bill would bring that right back in those communities and ensure that no community could ever say no to that kind of cruelty again. So I just wanna be really clear about what the bill actually says. Then to what we're seeing nationally, 
Um, puppy selling pet stores, largely Petland, who is a corporation that has some puppy stores in Indiana as well, and who's the primary driver of this bill. They're truly going state to state trying to pass bills like this. They can't seem to win on the local level. Um, they can't defend what, what their business is all about. And so they go to states and they try to get these preemption bills passed. We've successfully stopped them in over a dozen states. Um, so that's kind of the national perspective. Now, on the other hand, seven states have completely stopped the sale of puppies and pet stores, as well as nearly 500 localities across the country. So these bills are a response to the momentum to say no to this cruelty. Lori? Yeah, I want to just... Because I'm here in the studio, I can see <laughs> I can see Jonathan and Lori, and so I know, uh, and I want to ask Jonathan to just cl- clarify things because you've heard sure. now from our other two guests about their interpretation of the bill, um, and you were specifically talking about this idea of resetting ordinances. Correct. So can you talk about? Well, I mean, first let me address. I'll, I'll agree with the guests. There are terrible puppy mills. Yeah, I've been in several of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've shut down, I mean, my organization has personally shut down seven in the last six months in the state of Indiana. We also stopped a dog auction in the state of Indiana. We care about welfare. As far as dogs being killed, you know, within USDA, that's, that's what's known as convenience euthanasia. I mean, the dog's not killed. It has to be put down by a vet. Um, and it, that's filled out on the 7006 form that the USDA uses. I, I don't know if they were expecting guests to be well, well-termed in USDA <laughs> here. But uh, that in, in the state of Indiana, and that's who I'm speaking about, um, you know, I call itself has a code of ethics that exceeds uh, most people. Dogs are not allowed to be uh, euthanized unless the vet says that the dog is is sick or in pain. Otherwise, the dog needs to be rehomed when it's done breeding, and it's rehomed at the prime of its life. Uh, canine care also requires the same thing. They keep referring to that they can source from anywhere. So there's also very uh, strong um, consumer protection built into this bill that would be unwise for a pet store to source from substandard breeders because they're going to be on the hook for that dog if it has medical issues. Um, you know, and as far as resetting the standard, resetting the, the, uh, the ordinances, yeah, that's what it is. I mean, they, you know, as uh, Samantha said, yeah, they are, they are being overturned. But those same localities, Bloomington itself can say, you know what, you can't operate a pet store here unless you're sourcing from canine care certified breeders, period. You know, they can, they can make that rule. They can establish how often the pet stores, you know, the pet store is uh, inspected by your local animal control. Um, you know, that, 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 is a, that is something that we saw as we went from place to place. There was a lot of misinformation being put out there about where dogs are sourced. We had the ability to go to Hammond, Indiana, um, where the Humane Society of the United States was also there. And we were actually able to have a have a conversation away from the general talking points of puppy mills and and talk about there's a good pet store in Hammond and there's a really poor pet store in Hammond. What can Hammond do to mitigate both of those things? They still haven't made a decision. Now the state is going to be making that decision. I know for a fact one of those pet stores will not be able to operate any longer once this bill isn't put into place. Um, The other pet store will have to step up to uh, what the standards of care say here. Um, and they don't really have to change much because they are not sourcing from puppy mills, but the other one absolutely was. Uh, and something I just, you know, I think needs to be addressed is definition of a puppy mill. You know, that, that's sure. it. People don't seem to understand what that is. Uh, our, get, our other guest would say, if you're USDA licensed, if you're a commercial breeder, you're a puppy mill. That is not the case. We have a lot of very reputable breeders who by law, by federal law, must become USDA, especially the canine care certified folks and the folks that are ICOL members. Uh, USDA is a breeze to them. They're, they're, they're not worried about those inspections. And we've been through USDA inspections. They are not, they are not simple or 
or the, the, the USDA inspectors who are typically licensed veterinarians, mm-hmm. typically. I mean, there are some that are not, but, but USDA is now requiring veterinarians for those inspections. Um, they're, they're sampling dogs. They're doing a head-to-toe on, on one dog at some point in that, in that inspection to, to, just to see what, what's going on. Um, and a direct violation is a welfare violation. A indirect, as they're referring to, can be anything from paperwork being uh, mis- misplaced to, you know, USDA inqu- requires enclosures and fences and, and play areas. They might have a, the dogs might have dug a hole that night and USDA shows up the next morning and there's a hole there. That's an indirect violation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Let, let, me, let me ask Samantha to uh, respond to what is the Humane Society of the United States definition of a puppy mill? How do you, how do you view how would how would you define a puppy mill? Yeah, that's a great question, Bob. So the way that the Humane Society of the United States defines a puppy mill would be any type of large scale commercial breeding operation where the mental and the physical health of the dog is put below um, any type of profits that are being maximized in that type of a situation. So think about, you know, lack of veterinary care, lack of exercise and socialization. Really, um, the key there is profit over animal health and welfare how do you how do you determine whether profit is the primary motive well i think it depends on how much resources are being dedicated to um you know the particular animal so i just want to be clear that the humane society of the united states is not against um responsible and ethical dog breeding Mm -hmm. Um, ethical um, and responsible breeders do not sell their dogs to pet stores. They want to meet um, the people who are um, looking for the puppy, um, the consumer directly. They have um, all of the medical paperwork. There's, um, you know, DNA testing and and blood work done to make sure that the breed um, is healthy and um, in good shape. There's a lot of um, contracts that allow for someone to, um, if they're no longer able to care for the dog, return that dog to that breeder um, because that breeder really truly cares about the health um, and welfare of that animal. Whereas you're in you know, a puppy mill type of a situation, you're churning out as many puppies as possible, as quickly as possible to generate income. And um, as an animal lover, um, Bob, I, I'm sure you know how much it costs to, you know, go to the vet and um, provide adequate care to an animal. And so when you're in a business model that prioritizes um, that profit, oftentimes their um, health and other needs of animals are being disregarded in those situations. Yeah. Right. Lori, I want to get your take on this, too, because you when you were talking before um, and uh, uh, about your practice as a a longtime uh, pet shop operator, owner, you were talking about the relationships you have with breeders. So can you speak specifically to this point about where breeders want to sell and and maybe to some extent this idea of, I'm sort of interested in this idea of scale that theoretically you could have a large scale breeder that's still following canine care, presumably, if they're willing to put that much effort in. Can you just talk more about that relationship? Sure, Lori, I'd love to. Um, thank you for this opportunity because multiple red flags, I'm sure you can see me in, in the studio, but um, as far as like why a breeder would go to an Uncle Bill's, we buy the whole litter. So I have the six stores. So if you have four dogs, I come in and I will have them vet checked. They're already vet checked before I see them, but then I have my corporate veterinarian go and check these animals to make sure that they have all of their, you know, they would do 10 points on them. We do 10 checkpoints. So like hearts and ears and, you know, lungs, hips, all that. So we typically, when we go into a breeder and we say we would like the four, why, why would that not be advantageous when we all know the people that are out in the United States wanting to buy a puppy, but it's really a scam. They want to come in, they want to rob you and, and do those things. So we are an organization that we pay our bills on time. We show up. We do what we our due diligence for the animal, and we buy the whole litter. So that is why a lot of breeders would choose to, you know, at eight weeks. The USDA also has an eight-week. I cannot buy a dog before eight weeks. 
that is a big thing where I can't even see the animal and purchase it. So that is something that, you know, is another due diligence of, of USDA to make sure these dogs, the, the, the requirements that the dog gets from the mom till the eight weeks and then the humans from eight to 12 weeks, that's the most impressionable period of time that the, that the dog has with, with the humans. Um, so that is 100% um, my take on why labeling breeders as irresponsible by selling to a pet store, I think, really just offends um, a lot of people, including myself. Um, I think we take great care of our animals. Um, I'm obviously my own business speaking on my own terms. Like, I, I can't vouch for any other organization, any other pet store, but that's how we, we um, see that. Yeah. It's a logical fallacy. You know, it's the no true Scotsman fallacy of no reputable breeder would well you don't know the breeder situation some breeders are top-notch in care but their marketing it's not there they, they don't want to have to deal with the people but they have a passion for the dogs and they entrust lori to be that that middle person and and also if, if i ever sold an animal to someone and it didn't work out they're all microchipped right that is in this bill as well the microchipping will show you where that dog came from. So say that the the owners surrendered the dog, they're moving, they can't have the, the animal anymore. That If it goes to the Humane Society Animal Control, I have made it known I will sign it in blood in front of everyone. We will go and pick up that animal within 48 hours. I do not and do not expect, you know, Humane Societies or anyone else to take care of any animals that we put out there. I will financially take care of them. I will make sure that we rehome them. Um, they're, you know, obviously in the bill, we have to have them spayed and neutered. Like those are things that we're trying to make responsible, make people be responsible. And that's in the guarantee that we actually have acknowledged signatures and initials on every point. Um, and the genetic testing as well. Our, our canine care certified breeders, they have to have genetic testing. That's a big time thing to make sure that they don't, they're not producing puppies that have, you know, hip problems like hip dysplasia, or they have a Lexing patella issues if they're a small dog. So there's all different inherent things that come with the breeds that we want to make sure that we're not breeding animals that will produce, you know, substandard, um, you know, litters. We have a caller that wants to join us today. She, she, Julie has some questions, so we're going to try to get her on the phone. We've been having some trouble with our phone line, so we'll, we'll see if this works. Julie? Julie, are you there? No. Well, we'll, we'll have Julie send her questions into our producer and then we'll, we'll ask them. Um, so I, I do want to get back to this issue about uh, the local ordinances. I, I think that's mm -hmm. one issue that has been a real hot button with this, and both Samantha and Amy have talked about it. I know my first reading of this, because I remember when Bloomington passed its ordinance, I am an animal lover. I had mixed feelings about the ordinance, but it made some sense to me. Why would why why did the state feel the need to to have a reset on these ordinances if the community has already decided this is what we want to do? Well, I mean, I'm being perfectly candid. I mean, the Humane Society of the United States went around lobbying to each each city council trying to get this done. I mean, I I speak to numerous folks, especially with this. I mean, I have I have people calling me that live in Carmel. I didn't know we had a <laughs> a pet store ordinance. Um, you know, they need to see data. They need to see real data that that we can provide um, or the state itself can provide, Purdue University can provide on, on just ban outright banning does nothing. I mean, it absolutely does nothing to stop puppy mills. Uh, puppy mills also don't operate you know, the, the worst ones are operating unregulated. So this brings in regulation that brings folks like that up to the top. They just, they're not going to be able to sell to pet stores anymore. Um, on top of it. I in with data since we're talking about that. Is this Amy? Yes. This okay, is Amy. sure. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, um, so the data shows that in the last 10 years, which is when we've seen ordinances and state laws that stop the sale of puppies in pet stores, um, when we've seen that movement really start, okay, um, in I the last 10 years, we've seen that USDA licensed breeding facilities, which are the massive puppy mill facilities selling to pet stores, have shrunk significantly 
since pet stores have stopped allowing puppies, or since cities have stopped allowing pet stores to sell puppies. So an estimated, and this is from looking at public records from USDA, an estimated 32,000 fewer breeding dogs are now caged in USDA licensed facilities. So another way of looking at that is as about one third of puppy selling pet stores have had to stop selling puppies, the average USDA licensed facility has shrunk by about one third. To me, that's convincing data. That's data that keeps me going because that's a lot less dogs confined, trapped, suffering in USDA licensed facilities. We yeah. also can't ignore the consumer protection aspects of this and all of those go away when pets, puppies are not being sold in pet stores anymore. So there is data that supports these ordinances. There's also data that these cities, including Bloomington, including Indianapolis, cities all across Indiana relied on when they passed these ordinances. And that's data about where the pet stores are sourcing from. And it's in writing and it's public records and it can't be disputed no matter how hard people try it. In, in, Indianapolis, they relied on data showing that Uncle Bill's, despite what you just heard, buys from massive Missouri-based puppy brokers. Pinnacle Pet being one of them, I'm looking at paperwork right now from June of last year, showing Uncle Bill's bought several dogs from Pinnacle Pet and their last USA inspection report. Pinnacle Pet had over 260 puppies on the property just at the time the USDA inspector was there. And there are various um, breeds of dogs in this one shipment, which seems to run counter to the idea that they only buy entire litters. So I just want to be really clear that no one has passed an ordinance based on a fluke. These ordinances were passed based on data. They were passed based on facts. What's happening now is that at the state level, the proponents of this bill are trying to confuse the issue as much as possible to protect their business interests. Okay, Lori, yes. go ahead. Yeah, let me let me uh, let me inter interject here since Uncle Bill's was just named. Um, so the reason that Indianapolis passed, right? Humane Society didn't just stop at dogs. They said, "Now I cannot sell dogs, cats, and rabbits." Okay, so that was in the original ordinance. So I, I kind of laughed at that one because ninety percent, nine zero percent of my cats that we sell are rescued. Now, here's, here's the amazing, you know, comment that I have about Humane Society of the United States. They are going to allow me, as a business owner, they're going to allow me in Marion County to sell kittens, but I can't sell for more than $500. But here's, here's the funny part. I don't get donations. I have to earn every dime I make, right? I don't get people just gifting me money and, and doing things. So I have veterinary care. I have things that I have to provide these animals to get them into the homes. They will be left at my doorstep. They will be left overnight in a box. Who knows how long they'd been there. I take those animals in and I get them homes. I don't euthanize. I don't do anything other than get these animals homes. And you can call me part humane society, honestly, because we do that with cats, rabbits, guinea pigs left at the front door, fish, um, reptiles, you name it. I have taken it in and I have put the money in. I have a, a veterinarian that oversees the whole entity of any animal. And then I have ones that go to each store. So I have licensed veterinarians that will like literally treat a gecko if I need to, or a shark or anything like that. We can actually treat any animal in house and get them a home as soon as they're clear from our veterinarian. So, you know, these ordinances are very like Jonathan Lawler had just also informed everyone that these ordinances come up nobody knows that they're even out there like I didn't I didn't know Carmel was out there I didn't know within a week it passed I went to the Indianapolis um, ordinance when they when they put it in with Zach Adamson and John Barth and I went in and you know he made study comes in and they're purple and they're all high-fiving Zach Adamson and they're hugging him and like we got this right And he's like oh yeah we got this the mind was already made up right there were seven Democrats on the panel I did my speech and my team did their speech and there was absolutely zero questions, zero, um, you know, what's going on here? Like, I want to play by the rules. And, you know, Pinnacle Pet is a, is a broker. And any dog that I bought from Pinnacle was a canine care certified breeder. Now, they don't have the dog. So, like, basically think of they come into one place, a veterinarian checks them, and then they go 
to different areas. So I only enlisted Pinnacle Pet probably when she saw that report, maybe last June. I don't think it's been much longer than that. And I only source canine care dogs from them. Yeah. And Pinnacle so. Pet represents like 200 breeders. So 200 puppies on premises. I mean, they're not, they're not a breeding facility. No. They are a gathering facility where their veterinarians are looking at those animals. I've been then, there during and, that vet and yeah. check process. I mean, I'm there and they're there for six hours doing that. And so that, that's not an unusual number. That, that represents several hundred breeders. I mean, so the other thing is the other that this, I can tell you working with actual, you know, animal behavior scientists, animal welfare scientists that work at multiple land grant universities, the Humane Society of the United States has taken credit for something that all those folks did by saying that they seem to think that their campaigning is what's making these USDA facilities shrink. It's not. It is actual, it's actual animal welfare scientists, dog behavior scientists, veterinarians working with the breeders saying, listen, if you put welfare first, profit will automatically come second. Put welfare first. You need to shrink the size of your facilities. That's what did it. And that, that has been happening. I mean, Canine Care first started uh, nine years ago. Prior to that, Ohio State was working on it. Uh, they were working on it in Missouri. Um, this, this thought that they have anything to do with it is just beyond me. And, and, and the local ordinances do nothing for that. And Bob, oh, go ahead. Bob and Lori, just real quick, do you guys understand the difference why you have to be USDA or not? Do, do you, I guess we kind of we didn't do all the, the premise work. So go ahead. That's U- probably good yeah, So USDA, yeah. um, so for me to buy from a breeder, USDA says more than four breeding females. So that is, that's the number. And then the commercial, so... There's, there's like a, a breeder, so a hobby breeder, we call them in the industry. A hobby breeder, what is that? It's anything that's under four that would sell to a pet store that so they wouldn't be USDA, but they could. You want to breed Brussels Griffons, Bob. Mm-hmm. So if you breed Brussels Griffons and you wanted to sell to Uncle Bill's underneath, underneath this bill, I could not buy from you because you're not USDA and you're not canine care. So there has to be some sort of governing body. That's the point that if you only have a couple dogs, you do this as a hobby. Say you just like the breed, you love your animals, you want to share them with your family, and, oh, you have a couple extra you need to, to get other homes and sell. So that is a way that, you know, the USDA says – if you sell to a pet store, more than four breeding females have to be USDA, and then canine care comes in. The commercial, remember I told you that that magic number of 19, if you're under 19, you're not considered a commercially bred facility. If you're more than 19 breeding animals, then that's when you are commercial. And, and, and to say more about that, in other words, if you're not commercial, you're doing more one-to-one, you're not selling to retail stores? What's yeah, so if you're not USDA, underneath this bill, like I said, if, if Bob were to have Brussels Griffons and he only has two dogs intact, meaning right. not fixed, I could not buy from him. Understood. Okay, so okay. The, the, okay. the commercial breeders, more than 19, that's when I'm, you know, I'm going out to breeders and checking because I don't think um, anyone can show you pictures and say, yep, this is exactly what it looks like. We'll go in unannounced. And a lot of these senators and legislators, they went to these kennels unannounced. Within 10 minutes, they we're going to come to your facility. Okay, they couldn't, the dogs don't lie, right? So they couldn't clean up fast enough. They couldn't get their dog socialized in 10 minutes. The dogs tell the story. When you walk into the kennel, within 30 30 seconds to a minute, I can tell you if those dogs are responding well to that, you know, the kennel owner. The kids usually are, are big time involved with, you know, raising of the puppies for socialization. And obviously they enjoy it. Who wouldn't want to enjoy, you know, going and playing with a litter of miniature schnauzers or, you know, whatever your your family pet is. Um, so whatever breed they choose to, to breed. So I think it's very important to understand what the difference between hobby breeders, USDA, canine care and all of that. So just a little bit of I want to I want to ask uh, Samantha and Amy. I heard somebody who wanted to join the conversation. Yeah. Okay. Bob, thank you. I wanted to address the Bloomington ordinance and just talk a little bit about that process. Um, so we were contacted by a handful of local advocates in Bloomington um, to to work on an ordinance like this. Um, as you may know, our animal shelters and rescues across the state are absolutely overwhelmed and drowning. Mm-hmm. And Bloomington, before passing this ordinance, they did have um, an ordinance that did allow local animal control to go in and and inspect pet stores. 
One of the issues, though, I will say is that our local animal control agencies are completely overwhelmed, and this is an additional burden on those local agencies that are already, you know, doing hard work um, with taxpayer money. So um, we were contacted by local advocates who wanted to work on this ordinance and who approached um, council members to work to sponsor this. We were asked to speak um, with data, as you know, you heard Amy present our organization extensively studies um, commercial large-scale commercial breeders across the United States with records, and we have a lot of expertise um, in this issue. And so, um, you know, I really want to say that it's not that our organization is going city to city passing ordinances. We've been approached by animal lovers who really genuinely want to stop puppy mills and shut down an industry that is cruel and inhumane. And I think for a lot of these communities, there's not maybe necessarily, um, you know, a large scale commercial breeder or puppy mill in their backyard, but by saying we are not going to be allowing the retail sale of dogs sourced from inhumane commercial breeding operations, they can have a humane community. And so, you know, we believe that local control on this issue is the best way to handle it because locals know their communities best. You know, Fort Wayne is different from Evansville, is different from LaGrange. And so not every single community has passed an ordinance. Many have considered ordinances and have decided that that's not the right decision for them. And that's not a mechanism that they need to be able to control pet overpopulation in their community. But Bloomington did because Bloomington does. They've just like many shelters across the state are in, are struggling and they're having to make tough decisions. And I will also note that there are 24 organizations and it's growing daily, animal welfare organizations across the state that have spoken out against House Bill 1412. And it's for good reason that no uh, local animal organization or national for that matter supports H, um, House Bill 1412. Um, the folks that are supporting this bill are those that benefit from selling dogs and cats in pet stores, and our localities are suffering, our local law enforcement are suffering, our ACOs are suffering, and they're being forced to pick up the pieces uh, when someone surrenders an animal or can no longer care for it, and this bill does nothing um, to support our local Hoosier communities um, who are really just quite frankly, drowning um, in animals. Jonathan has something to say, but I want to first uh, read you something. We, we invited Isabel Piedmont-Smith. She was one of the city council members that was uh, involved in passing this ordinance. She couldn't come, but she did send us a statement. I'm just going to read in part from the statement. She was against the, the, the bill, and she said uh, the local regulations in, that we had in place prior to adoption of Ordinance 2145 did not ensure that animals sold in licensed pet stores were not obtained from puppy and, puppy and kitten mills. She also says, um, just reading this in part, um, removing, she talks about the, the overcrowding of, of local and regional animal shelters. Sure. She says, removing the pet store option of obtaining dogs and cats made it more likely that people would turn to an animal shelter or rescue organization to adopt a pet. She points out that the city council did vote eight to zero with one person absent to pass the bill. And then she also, the, the last point she made, and, and Jonathan, you can refer, you can respond to these and, and any others. Um, she said uh, that uh, furthermore, although HB, uh, House Bill 1412 purportedly protects the welfare of dogs through pet store registration with the Board of Animal Health and Inspection by that entity, the Board of Animal health is already understaffed and therefore be unable to effectively regulate dog sales at pet stores. There's no extra funding for additional staff contained in this bill. So those are some of her reasons for opposing the bill. So, Jonathan? Well, I mean, that's, that wasn't Boa's opinion when they were questioned. Um, Who, who's it? it was, that wasn't the Indiana Board of Animal okay. Health. Okay. You know, and they actually okay. do have a fund. On top of that, every dog, licensed dog breeder in the state of Indiana that's licensed with them pays a fee. I do as well. Every broker a year. pays a fee and every pet store pays a fee. Yep. And they have said those are sufficient for their inspections. Now, going back to the local ordinances and Samantha's comment about, you know, this becomes a shelter issue. The shelters are too full. 
Has Bloomington Shelter miraculously lost dogs? I mean, are there? Is it not full anymore? You guys have had an ordinance in place for what almost a year? It's actually higher than it was last year and the year before. Just like every shelter, because there is uncontrollable backyard breeding. We have multiple rescue groups, not not the folks we're talking to now, but multiple rescue groups that truck dogs into the state of Indiana and put them in our shelters. It's the Southern Rescue Pipeline of mostly pit and pit bull mixes, uh, shepherd mixes. And then on top of that, California, I believe, has the longest statewide ban standing for, for pet stores. California's shelter system is in crisis. That within, the, within a year of those pet stores sh- uh, closing down, the imports of dogs into California went up 400%. California single-handedly made multiple Missouri pet mills, I, I, and I mean, I've been in them, when they passed that law because they're unregulated and they knew that they could, people could go online and buy dogs. This does not solve the shelter crisis. People that adopt dogs are always going to adopt dogs. People that buy dogs are always going to buy dogs. Um, it's also, I mean, in Indianapolis, we've, we heard from multiple folks that it was an access issue. You know, with it, within the community, uh, Dr. Brandon Cosby, who has a doggy de Bordeaux that he bought from a pet store, he's, he's the head of Flanner House. He was a little bit perturbed that the city of Indianapolis even considered a ban like this with the condition that Indianapolis is in. And he said, just like, just like uh, you know, food, hardware, supplies, there, there are none of those in his communities, in his, in his poor communities. Now there's no pet stores. Mm-hmm. And he said, my clients might want to save up money and buy a well-bred dog. They don't want a pit bull from, from Indy Animal con- Control. But yet... He said they're not driving four hours to a breeder. You know, pet store was an option. And, you know, there are multiple reasons not to do this. I mean, I don't like Taco Bell. I don't. I mean, I just, but I am not going to go to my city council and ask them to shut down all the Taco Bells. You know, I don't like Walmart. And I don't like Walmart because I think it's akin to slavery with what they do to their employees but I'm still not going to my city council and asking them to shut down Walmart. I shop with my dollars. I just choose not to shop there. And that's a good point with local control. I think it should be up to, you know, if, if uncle bills wasn't wanted in that market, then people don't have to shop there. No one's holding a gun to anyone's head. Right. So if they didn't want that, that as a option, then that is something that, um, you know, should be, made up to them, not by big government. But one other thing I, I have to say, I went to animal care and control yesterday, um, Marion County. Um, my staff took pictures and we actually, we took a, a load of no hide because um, they needed, they had reached out on Facebook and said, does anyone have any consumables for dogs that are stressing? And so I said, you know what, I'm going to step up and I'm going to give them a whole pallet of, of dog juice for these dog, these poor animals that are sitting in these tiny cages and stuff. And so we went and we, I am not going to sit here and tell you that we don't have an animal control problem. I'm mm-hmm. not going to sit here and tell you we don't have shelters full because we do. But when we went yesterday, we took pictures and videos. They're all pitter pit mixes. There's, there's not golden doodles. There's not Jack Russell Terriers. There's not Brussels Griffons. There's not the breeds that purposely are bred. We have a backyard breeding problem in our in our whole nation, not an Indiana problem, not a California. It's entirely from West Coast to East Coast, North and South. It's everywhere. I don't know the answer to to or the solution to this. I don't. But I can tell you when we just went yesterday and dropped off these, there is not anything that came from Uncle Bill's or a pet store of any sort that, you know, because Let's call it a reputable pet store doesn't sell pit bulls, because, not because of the breed. I don't want to be misconstrued here. The breed is not necessarily the problem. It's the people that have the dog. And what do backyard breeders do? Oh, I don't want this one, 500 bucks, $100. I don't want it at all. Um, just I want it dumped somewhere. I don't care. Um, and that's the real problem, right? It's not, it's not the golden doodles. It's, it's not, those aren't the masses. You know, and if you look at every animal care and control or every humane society, you can see the pitter pit mixes. Um, yeah, huskies may be a little bit thrown in there for sure, certain other breeds, but 
they're not in masses. That that's not what's at the animal care and controls or humane societies. Lord, we only have we have, have about seven minutes to go. Okay. Yeah. You know. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And I've, uh, you know many many questions. But I did. I want to go back to to Samantha and Amy. Because you know, I think one question certainly I have as being a newcomer to this issue is uh, are, why aren't or, or should there be efforts to stiffen the certification the USDA has in place uh, to, to raise the floor, let's just say, because that's what I'm hearing is the USDA certification is kind of a floor and it's not high enough. And I think we probably all agree it's not high enough. So it, and, and the canine care standard you said in the works for about nine years, Jonathan. Correct. So it's out there. It's presumably something that other states can adopt, other communities can adopt. Is that not something that that they, where there could be pressure brought to bear on the USDA to adopt those standards and raise the, raise the floor as as one strategy to deal with these problems? And I'd like to get Samantha and, and or Amy to respond to that. I'm happy to chime in here. This is Amy. Um, there's enormous pressure on the USDA and on Congress. Um, USDA could do it through the regulatory process. Congress can do it by amending the Animal Welfare Act. There's enormous pressure every single year to upgrade those standards, and every single year nothing is done at the federal level. Um, that doesn't mean we're giving up. We will never stop putting pressure on USDA, but it's not resulted in change at the federal level. Um, so agree, that would be extremely helpful for the USDA to get their act together. And the standards are only part of the problem. Enforcement is a huge problem. There's, there's a lot of problems with the current system. And we'll continue to work um, on, on trying to solve those problems at the federal level. Yeah. It seems like education is also a, a big problem. But, you know, certainly, Laura, are you talking sure. about something that sure. affects your industry directly, and you weren't even aware of the ordinance that was Correct. being passed. Yeah. So, Samantha, was that well, you? Yeah. On the canine oh. care point, I think yeah. it's really, really important that we're not that we're not glossing over this. There's absolutely nothing in House Bill 1412 that would encourage a pet store to source from canine care breeders because they could just keep sourcing from USDA breeders that have nothing to do with canine care. Unless, unless a city adopts an ordinance that says they have to. Correct. Which they cannot do under HB 1412. They, they absolutely can. can. They absolutely can. Please look at the bill. It specifically says <laughs> that city and county cannot stop a pet store from sourcing from USDA licensed breeders and brokers. That is separate from the part that says they also cannot stop them from sourcing from canine care breeders and brokers. It, it does. It does not. Says, uh, I, I, I'd be happy to have our legislative assistant contact you and explain to you exactly where it says that in the bill. Okay. Uh, let me. That's not what the bill says uh, we can't argue about something that is just factually on a piece of paper. The bill says what it says. We cannot argue about this. So let let's uh, agree that. Uh, we know now that it's going that this bill is on its way to the governor. I, I don't. I'm not in the mind of Governor Holcomb. I'm going to assume because he's a Republican. This was passed by the Republican legislature. He'll sign the bill. And he has a dog too. And he, he yeah, his, his dog, dog died. actually passed away. Oh well, he's a dog lover. <laughs> um, but Samantha, uh, I want to ask you. So, what will you do next? You know, what's your next strategy? This this bill has passed, and it's it's apparently going to go into law. So what would your next strategy be? And we have about three minutes to go. Yeah, thanks so much for the question, Bob. So we're pivoting to asking Hoosiers to call Governor Holcomb's office and urge him to veto the bill. Um, we believe that this bill does no favors for Hoosier pets and their families. And as an animal lover, uh, we know that Governor Holcomb truly cares um, about dogs. He also has a rescue cat and chickens. And um, we know that he cares about local control and that he wants to do what's in the best interest of Hoosiers. And so we're you know, encouraging all of those folks um, that have worked on ordinances in the past and advocates across the state to really use their voices um, and talk to the governor's office and, and encourage that veto. 
I think again, um, really truly, we believe that um, this bill does not does not help dogs. I know that's what's been the rhetoric. I know that the rhetoric has been this requires canine care sourcing and there's you know additional standards, but truly this bill lacks enforcement. It The whole intent of it is to void 21 local ordinances that have been led by animal loving people that truly care across the state. And with that, I, I truly just, I have faith in the governor. Um, I have faith in our advocates and I have faith in the work that we do every single day to stop cruelty at the source. And we will keep fighting regardless of the outcome on this bill. All right. Last word. Uh, I'm going to go to Lori. Last word. The idea of fighting cruelty at the source. You would agree with that. Absolutely. Right? And, and you know, I have gone to kennels and I have declined. Um, and I think that the biggest thing that I want to make sure that I reiterate is, you know, we just feel like the American, um, you know, life and dream is to make your own decisions and choices. Now, we're not selling anything illegal or immoral here. We're just we literally want to give Hoosiers a right to have what they want. Um, in their household, whether it's an eight-week-old hypoallergenic Maltese or if it's a, you know, nine-week-old Rottweiler, um, there are, there should be a regulated option. And forcing me out of business or forcing other um, good actors out of business does not it will perpetuate the problem, and the humane societies will will have a, a bigger wrath on their hands if if they if they wanted to get this done and do this. It's been a, a lively conversation today. I'm afraid we're out of time. I, I do want to thank Samantha Chapman and Amy Jesse for joining us. They're both from the Humane Society of the United States. Also in the studio with us, Jonathan Lawler, Public Policy Director for the Indiana Council for Animal Welfare, and Lori Wilson, CEO of Uncle Bill's Pet Centers. For Lori McRobbie and for our engineer, Mike Pashkash and our producer, Nathan Moore. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.